Is Draco Malfoy actually good at being a bully? Is Trelawney actually good at being a teacher? Is Hagrid actually qualified to be a teacher? Is Dumbledore actually running this school? So many questions and fun side discussions with my guest in this episode, Dan from Hogwarts, a podcast. Hi, welcome to Belated Binge Harry Potter, the re-binge podcast that doesn't take itself or the books too seriously. I'm Zach, I'm your host, and I didn't read this series until my mid-twenties. And today we get back into our chapter discussions of Prisoner of Azkaban with chapter six, Talons and Tea Leaves. The Belated Binge Podcast. Before we get into it, there will be spoilers, obviously. There might be language. Meh, we'll see. Shout out to Katie holding it down for the Bonus Binge Squad on Patreon, which you can join for shout outs in all the episodes, early access, and bonus content. And right now, I'm excited to introduce my guest for this episode. It's the host of Hogwarts, a podcast, Dan! How are Thank you, you for having me. Thank you. It's <laughs> It's been a minute since uh, we've we've been trying to get this together for a while now. So a, a minute is, I would love to do the math because I think it's been over a year now probably. we've been trying to get, to get this going, <laughs> which is my fault actually. And I've admitted um, on the podcast before, I think, or on somebody's podcast. Oh, I think it was when I went on Content and Capable and Sam and I were talking about um, the scheduling of guests and getting interviews and and all of that kind of stuff and how I'm just awful at it and you are the only person that i've ever had to cancel on and i felt so bad about doing that <laughs> it's all um, right man i i understand the scheduling uh troubles so it's hard man well it was it it's ironic i bring it up now because it's very ironic uh it was a chapter that we were going to do back in chamber of secrets originally and that day my kid and my wife were sick and I was like, I just can't record today. And I was very uh, upset with having to do that to you. And guess what's happening right now? Are they both sick now? <laughs> they too? are both sick oh, right man. now. <laughs> and we are down here talking about Harry Potter. What a difference a year makes. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's start with your Harry Potter story. How did you come to be into this fandom and become a Potterhead yourself? Yeah, it's it's a little roller coaster of a ride. Uh, I am of the age where <laughs> I was about 11 when I started reading it and the books were coming out about that time. And I remember uh, my fifth grade teacher I actually started reading uh, Sorcerer's Stone in class. And I kind of got hooked on it then. That seems like so many people in this fandom story. Mm -hmm. And it's wild to me that so many people like just latched onto this story that was read to them by a teacher. I, I must've went to the wrong school. <laughs> Cause I'm also of age. Uh, definitely nobody reading it to me. <laughs> Well, mine is a little bit more unique of a story, too, because I don't know if you remember back in the day, there was a lot of backlash on Harry Potter because mm -hmm. magic and wizardry and, you know, that's mm -hmm. devilry. 
Yeah. Um, I went to a Catholic grade school. <laughs> so the fact that uh, a teacher in a Catholic grade school was the one to introduce me to this is kind of bizarre. But uh, yeah, that's kind of how it started. It's very wild because I, too, also went to a Catholic grade school at this time. And that is probably precisely why none of the teachers read this to me. <laughs> Oh, that's really funny. Did we go to the same school? Just have different teachers? We might have. We might have. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I kind of fell out of it for a while. After Goblet of Fire, there was a big break between books, and I just kind of fell out of it. And then years later, I picked up Order of the Phoenix and was like, do I still like this? Spoiler, I still like this. So <laughs> um, I just kind of got into it again. It'd be really funny if you didn't. You were like, actually, my podcast is a hate podcast. All yeah, I do would... is trash Harry Potter. <laughs> that'd be super aggressive. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. the The name would not be indicative of the uh, of the content. No, no. <laughs> Speaking of the podcast, tell us about your kick ass Harry Potter podcast. Yeah, so it's me and a group of my friends, and we literally just go chapter by chapter through the series, kind of like what you're doing. Uh, I know. <laughs> exactly. We're original. We're original. I know, very much so. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and we just basically break down, uh, I think one of my guests described it as AP English, uh, where we kind of just deep dive into <laughs> the chapter and kind of break down everything. And uh, one of the things I particularly like doing is taking characters, which one of which we might be talking about today a little bit. Potentially. Uh, yeah, that aren't very well liked by the fandom and kind of go through their point of view. Because mm. I know when we read it as kids, we read the books all through Harry's eyes because mm. that's kind of how you're designed to read the books. So you're reading everything through the eyes of a you know teenage child and now yeah. we're adults. So how does our adult... Uh, kind of filter hmm. get through Harry Potter and like maybe some of these characters that we always hated maybe now we have more of an understanding about where they're coming from so it's one of the things I like doing on the podcast kind of taking a different angle on it and seeing if we come to a new understanding or if we're like nah we hate that character he's awful <laughs> you know whatever <laughs> so I think we'll have plenty of opportunity to explore at least somewhat in this particular chapter because we at least have one character in this chapter that is, how do I describe, uh, complete shit. We've had one or two disagreements on my podcast about this particular character uh, and I'm the cause of it. So this will be fun. Good. Be fun. Good. I like it. I like it. Um, well, before we jump into this chapter, in case you were obliviated or you got your Hogwarts letter late, let's shove our faces in that white, liquidy substance of our pensive. Harry finally got on the Hogwarts Express in our last chapter, chapter five, in case you needed help counting because I can't keep them straight, uh, only to come face to face with, well, depression in physical form, but there was good news, at least. Uh, we no longer have to hear the phrase Azkaban guards anymore because the audience actually knows what a Dementor is. So now the whole wizarding world does too and can change the way that they speak about it immediately. I can't tell you how frustrating that was for me at every moment. Uh, we also got to meet Remus Lupin 
Harry finally got some family, which is a theme of Dumbledore's master plan for this particular book, if you ask me. Now, let's do Priori Inc. and Chapter, a.k.a. the point where our wands connect, not the tips, just the streams, so we can recap what went down in the chapter that we just read. This week, Chapter 6, Talons and Tea Leaves. Well, it starts kind of annoying with Draco doing fainting impressions, making fun of Harry. So let's, um, let's just get into this particular question because I have a feeling you might answer this slightly different uh, than what maybe I anticipated before you came on. Where are you in Draco's level of competence as a school-age bully specifically? I think he's a little behind, quite honestly. I, I think he's he's a typical 13-year-old kid, mm-hmm. but still the fainting thing I feel like is a little beneath him. I think he could do better at this point. Yeah. I, I think he could do better. Uh, it feels juvenile. This, this is more of like a 9, a 10-year-old kind of level, and I, he's better than that. He's better. I expect yeah. more. Yeah. Did you think you were going to come on and the first question you got asked about the chapter was rating his skills as a bully? I had a feeling Draco might come up early, but I did not. Uh, <laughs> I did not expect rating his bullying skills. Uh, he's done better too. This is this is not up to his par. Not up to his par. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you. And we're nothing if not cancelable around here. Uh, we don't hear um, from Pansy Parkinson very often, but she's in here too. And she's uh, in here a lot. Yeah, yeah, she gets a she she gets a lot, and I. I find her character potentially more annoying than I do Draco's because at least Draco's consistently here. She just pipes in every once in a while, and I I could do without the the pug face. She is the epitome of like a follower, like just a sheep that just mm. follows the leader. Like Draco is clearly running the show, if not in this particular class of Slytherins but like almost the entire school of Slytherins it seems like he's the one running everything it's funny you say that because I've I I often wonder how much of this shit is flying like house wide and how much of this is just him and his little like click within it because we really only hear a few names surrounding him (laughs) right like the whole time and I kind of wonder if he's not just like the like the big dog of his five or six people and he tries that with like somebody else in the common room or whatever and they're like dude i don't care who your dad is (laughs) well yeah so i think it's more like so let's say some random sixth year who we don't know Mm -hmm. here's draco and i think he like rolls his eyes and will be like ha but like man if your dad wasn't who he is i would like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would pound you right now. This is annoying. Like, come on. If only your father wouldn't hear about this. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Fred and George let us know that Draco ran and hid in their train compartment when he saw the Dementor, which is pretty much typical Draco hip- hypocrisy. Um, and before we leave for divination, we get a small divination foreshadow moment where Ron catches a glimpse of Hermione's schedule. Mm-hmm. Three classes at 9 a.m., which doesn't seem all that possible. I wonder what could be maybe happening. 
Uh, but Ron is the first one to notice and actually express some concern about it. And um, Hermione shrugs it off and says she's worked it out with McGonagall. So there, there's like a few things that are kind of here. Obviously, this is a foreshadow to the rest of the book, time turners and and all of that stuff. Did I mention spoilers at the beginning? Um, but this is also a pretty ridiculous moment for me. And since you're new to this, uh, I'll say that fairly often when I mention things in the story that I find ridiculous and not making a lot of sense. We've got a powerful object with its own room in the Department of Mysteries that gives you the power to time travel and manipulate the outcomes of everything. And yeah. it can apparently be obtained by a school teacher to give to a 13-year-old child because her class schedule has conflicts. Can you make this make any sense at all? It's a pretty egregious cheat code. It's <laughs> it's like... Uh... <laughs> If there's ever an item that's very OP, overpowered, it's this, which is ultimately why they kind of get rid of it later on. <laughs> Immediately. Uh, they're like, yeah, we, we really shouldn't have this as a thing. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's ridiculous. And the how many other students had this ability, like, given to them? There had to be some. I mean, we get, you know, we hear about Percy getting so many OWLs, there's only one way he could have done that. Barty Crouch know. Jr. I mean, it had to be given to other people, but um, yeah, this is this is too much. It's yeah, too you, much. Would, you would think that there would have to be some precedent set in order for McGonagall to get this done. Mm -hmm. It's probably not the first time, but I have a hard time believing that Percy could have possibly had it because Percy's too pompous. He would have like it wouldn't have been a secret. Do you think he just signed up for owls on his own then? Just was like, ah, eh, just take a shot at this. I just think he filled his class schedule, and mm. he just didn't have like two at the same time. He wasn't doing shit like Muggle studies at the same time as like arithmetic or whatever. Like he was just gonna go to arithmetic. He didn't give a shit about. I don't even think studies. he did. He doesn't strike me as the one to even do Muggle studies because I think no. he resents his dad for it. So yeah, yeah, I think I think he just I think he just did the absolute maximum coursework that you possibly could, given the confine the confines of you know time. Sure, is is my I I would love to I would love to go back to Marauders era and see if there was any potential time turner-esque shenanigans that we could potentially like uh gleam from that era as if like because you you know let's say they made a marauder show you know if anyone was gonna get it or whatever they'd like they'd give lily potter or lily evans you know a, sure. a time turner or something to um to do that or what could be fun is lupin yeah, that's the one that'd be interesting because Lupin could probably do it academically, mm -hmm. but then you run the risk of James and Sirius, who are also extremely intelligent in their own right, but they are. They're extremely mischievous too. So then you like run the risk of them convincing Lupin to give them a time turner, and that would be Snape's worst nightmare or worst memory <laughs> if you get into a later chapter in the books, but. No, you're not wrong. I was actually thinking just specifically from like werewolf transformation. Mm, yeah. 
like how do you hide the kid that has been gnawing and clawing at himself all night like all the wounds and stuff maybe he has to heal and then make up time was more but you're right like the fact that he and the marauders did so much rule breaking in like just hanging out with their friend as a werewolf it would be hard to think he could keep that time turner a secret no chance great if he could no chance they find (laughs) that out yeah i think you're right uh the other foreshadow here is that ron is the first and kind of the only person if i remember correctly throughout the book that's concerned at all about hermione and her workload her well-being how exhausted she is where she's passing out and reappearing and and all of that whatnot Uh, a lot of people point to this as like the first inclination of their eventual ship i guess and i caught a small glimpse before this when Hermione was petrified out of Ron, but a lot of people say this is the book where Ron starts to like establish that like crush your feelings or or whatever. Where where does that land for you? Is it too early? No, I don't think it's too early at all. I think you when I was rereading Sorcerer's Stone, it stunned me just how mean he was to Hermione. Oh yeah. And how brutal he was. And yeah, I think I think you're right. I think in Chamber of Secrets, it starts to flip. I think it starts to turn. So I don't think Prisoner of Azkaban is too early at all. I think it starts happening fairly early. Yeah, if I remember, I think it was when she was petrified and in the hospital wing and like Harry's doing the little investigative thing and he finds the little note and all Ron can do is just like stare at her. Mm-hmm. He's just like, he, he seems to be reacting emotionally in that moment. And that for me, I was like, oh, there's the, the very, very early signs of, of hookup. Please, for the love of God, not yet, though, because they're 12. Anyway, uh, where are we? <laughs> uh, well, we're off to divination, and we get another little baby divination moment along the way, which I, I guess makes some sense. If you're writing a chapter predicting the future, you probably should be planting seeds along the way, but it's Sir Cadigan, and I'd completely forgotten uh, how blatantly comedic this character is. Because he's barely at all makes his way into the movies. And he's very sparingly used throughout the books. And he's he's like a portrait version of a Three Stooges character. They like <laughs> They like follow him to the classroom and he basically says to like all of them that if they need a brave picture, he's on call or whatever, which, you know, we'll, 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 have plenty of moments with him but i had completely forgotten he was introduced here i know you give out um house points and stuff on the podcast i do so i'm gonna take 10 portrait points from him for the sword and pony fails that (laughs) can't you can't have it can't have it no you gotta you gotta be you gotta be sharp (laughs) sorry nice nicely played i'm dad (laughs) Uh, now we're in divination, uh, and we meet Trelawney. This Her- is where this chapter gets interesting. It it does, but then it also is just maddening to uh, on another level. Hermione already isn't having it though with this bullshit. Trelawney's like, she's like the side act at a carnival or a theme park or something. It's just like she's just throwing out vague predictions everywhere, yeah. hoping that just for one of them to stick so that she looks good 
Um, she tries to like study the kids for her mark. I think that she can plant some kind of something into existence, like telling Neville ahead of time he's gonna break a cup. Like she sees a super clumsy looking nervous kid and tells him he's gonna break a cup. Of course he's gonna break a cup. <laughs> it's like a it's like a carnival kind of fortune teller who's like targeted guessing. Yeah. Like that's what I kind of see is like it's a carnival game and she's just doing targeted predictions. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same way that she got Lavender, who seems to be all like googly eyed at the whole subject. That thing you dread is going to happen on 1016, which I wish we were recording this a couple of weeks ago just to make that stick. Um, of course, now something's going to happen. Turns out her rabbit died, but. Mm -hmm no matter what, this was going to be a winner. Because something, any any little minor inconvenience that could have happened on that day, she woke up late, she... Failed a test. Yeah, she failed a test, she dropped her toast, got a pimple, you know, had an argument, stubbed her toe, anything. Like, literally anything. Yeah. Any, any moment, every single person that wakes up on a given day, thank, you know, whoever you pray to for the fact that you woke up. But at some point in that day, you're going to have a moment where you're just like, son of a bitch. Yep. And now her moment, she's going to think was like foreseen by her teacher. And it's going to be the, the biggest, most amazing thing that's ever happened to her. <sighs> but you know, let's not get too frustrated with a book written for children. <laughs> at least not yet uh she throws out a bunch um i do think though uh in all of this hoobla i think i might have caught a little writing mistake and i want to see if you agree mm, okay one of the lines is that she tells pravati patil to beware of a red-haired man mm -hmm. she obviously thinks of ron yep and of course in goblet of fire at the yule ball ron is a shitbag date a total pain in the ass. Yep. But he goes with her sister. Sister, yes. That's yeah, correct. Not her. And so it makes me wonder if that was potentially a small oops in the Easter egg. Or was it just like, eh. You know, maybe, maybe Trelawney was gazing in her crystal ball <laughs> and just mistook the twins. Oh. Maybe she's just like, oh, I got, I guess I got the wrong one. I don't know, whatever. That's that's fair. I was wondering because I always, I think one of the reasons that this series is so masterfully written from an Easter egg per, uh, point of view is that when this author was writing stuff, she was often like referring back to previous stuff. And like pulling things that seemed innocuous so that she could pay them off. And it felt like she was trying to pull this and then it didn't quite, didn't quite line up because it wasn't the, the right that, sister. That very easily could be it. <laughs> Alas, uh, we do get funny bits though between Harry and Ron. And that ends up being the best part of this whole class um, during the series. It's, it's them going back and forth. And I particularly like the, the uh, uh, you're going to be happy or, or you're going to suffer, but you're going to be happy about it. That one's. That was pretty funny. Yeah, that, that's it. That was pretty good. 
That's a good line. I like it doesn't happen in this chapter though, but I'm a big fan of Ron's just random outlandish predictions that he makes in these homework assignments and then how many of them actually come true. The dream diaries are ridiculous to me. Like, first of all, you could write anything. Like how does anybody know? So the fact that they're even struggling with that homework is ridiculous because you could just literally write anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they come up with some outstanding crazy stuff yeah it's it's good uh ron tells harry that he's going to work at the ministry of magic which ends up being true even though it's the wrong career path for his character and i will die on that hill uh not literally i'm not dying over this book series but you get my point um i always i always stand for uh a short professional quidditch career followed by defense against the dark arts professor the popular path. That's, yeah. that's that's the one I like. Yeah, I'm, I'm not original. Um, but I think the thing that I like about that more than just it making a hell of a lot more sense is that it plants the seed for him to become kind of like a Dumbledore reincarnated type of a character that can like consult with the ministry in, in that sort of thing in a... Uh, and, and honestly operate outside the confines of its um laws and structure much like Dumbledore does in a let's call it cursed child adjacent world where things actually make sense and the plot's not garbage yeah I'd go with that okay Okay. (laughs) (laughs) um all right uh but really the big thing is you know the Trelawney yeah, I have thoughts on the whole Trelawney thing. And this is where we got into Please. a lot of trouble on my podcast because I pissed off a lot of my guests with what I'm Great. about to bring on this. So um, here's the thing. I always took the view that Trelawney is ridiculous and absurd and should be immediately discredited <laughs> and is not really worth my time as a reader. I took that all up until I got to this chapter on my podcast. And then I read the words right out the gate. She says, quote, I must warn you at the outset that if you do not have the site, there is very little I will be able to teach you. Books can only take you so far in this field, which is accurate, number Mm -hmm. one. And number two kind of sets the whole Trelawney versus Hermione thing (laughs) right out the gate. It's, yeah. It sets the stage for their kind of battle, which I think Hermione's a little off base on because I think Trelawney's right. Books can only take you so far. If you have it, you have it. If you don't, you don't. And then the idea that Trelawney, obvi- she obviously has it because she's made two massive prophecies, one prior to the books taking place and then one in this book uh, later on. Mm-hmm that are solid prophecy just goes into a whole trance-like state so she's not exactly a fraud because she does have that ability but in my thing with trelawney some of these predictions that you pointed out earlier neville in the cup lavender in the date yeah those are kind of like i'm just gonna throw a dart and hope it hits Mm -hmm. there are some others though that i think she makes really good predictions even though she doesn't interpret them well. Like, for example, in this class, she sees the Grimm 
mm-hmm. right? She sees the Grim in the tea leaves. And later on, she sees the Grim in a crystal ball, I believe. So while she's seeing the Grim, which is a big black dog omen, mm-hmm. well, we've seen a big black dog mm-hmm. following Harry religiously in this book. I think she sees the right thing, but misinterprets it. And then I think she does that a couple of times throughout the series. She'll like uh, later, later in the books, she'll be flipping tarot cards and she just gets danger, death, attackers. And then she gets the lightning struck tower card and she's like, well, that can't be right. And then she goes through it again and it's the <laughs> same thing again. And it's like danger, death, lightning struck tower, lightning struck tower. And she's like, that can't be true. That can't be true. And she just dismisses it, even though she's getting the signs. So I think my overall grand opinion on Trelawney after reading these books again is I think she's a little misunderstood and she's a little unfairly treated by the fandom as a whole. I know that's a hot take. It's lukewarm. It's lukewarm. So he... I can follow you on the vast majority of that. I think the reason that she's so frustrating is her way of going about it. Mm. She wants to present herself as above you and you don't like, you just don't get it because you don't have the inner eye. But as far as she knows, Neither does she, because the two main prophecies she's actually hit on, she doesn't remember them. Yep. She goes into, she goes fully like out of body experience and is taken over by just prophecy. She has no idea that they've even happened. Mm-hmm. So what she's, what she knows that she is doing is making all of these like just throwing them out just constantly. And it turns into very much to me like a the a boy who cried wolf type of a situation where like if she actually does yeah. get get something right because she does. She 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 does have sight. She does get some of this stuff right. But it's all overshadowed by all of the like showy, wrong, blatantly just like uh yes. misguided way and her attitude to other people where it's like, well, it's hard to care that you got those four or five right because the 176 that you did before that and made a big show about it were wildly off base. Especially sure. if, um, and we'll get to that in a second, but because I want to hit that Hermione thing, uh, but especially if McGonagall's correct in that she predicts the death of a student every single year. It's like, why is that your thing? showy right like that's (laughs) that's that's it it. yeah for for her it's all about the show and it's like in that that's why i think that she she loses any level of credibility in her character outside of the premonition she doesn't know she's making even though some of them as you say are correct she has she has multiple of them that are correct i completely agree with you i think that the flashy showiness is so unfortunate because I don't think she needs it. Mm -mm. I think, and this is where I do agree with people that she's not maybe the best teacher, although I think she's underrated as a teacher too, but 
She's not the best teacher because she does all that flashy stuff and she doesn't need it. She could literally just mm-hmm. teach you what a crystal ball is or how the right. tea leaves work or whatever. And that's fine. Like when we just did a chapter where Umbridge is Ugh. evaluating her and Umbridge tries to catch her like, oh, mm-hmm. make a make a prediction for me, make a prophecy. And, you know, Umbridge is just teasing her, like, give me something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And all Trelawney has to do is a McGonagall way of just like, that's not how this works. Please stop interrupting my class. Let me teach. That's all she has yeah. to do. That's not how the site works. That's not how divination works. You're ridiculous. Get out of my way. But she doesn't. She nope. crumbles underneath that pressure and she tries to throw a prediction out there. And I think it's when she meets Dumbledore before the series, when she makes that big prediction or that mm-hmm. big prophecy, she's only meeting with Dumbledore because she's trying to get a job. Like she can't even get yeah. a job based on the prophecies. Like her ancestry means nothing to most people because most people think divination's ridiculous anyway. Mm-hmm. So she's at her wits end at the at that point. So when she gets this job, that's where she is now as a person is I got to make it look good. I got to try to make it flashy. Wrong way of going about it. But psych- psychologically, I think that's where she's at, which is just unfortunate. Yeah, if she didn't if she didn't use it as a way of trying to bring attention to herself, then we'd have a completely different read on that character. For sure. But alas, um, Hermione yeah. is not here for any of this shit. Uh, she was out on divination before she walked into the room. So here's my question. She got a time turner so she could take this class. Why? Because she feels like she has to, I guess. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. Speaking it's, of ego. like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so not her thing. She's so like... Trelawney's whole thing is like broaden your minds and Hermione is like nope if it's not like factually right in front of me I can't can't do it yeah it's I have a hard time with this one um maybe we wouldn't have needed a major plot hole device but then we wouldn't have you know we'd have to write a whole new book climax um but of course we could not have Hermione in this one I do enjoy it though eventually when she walks out of this class that it brings me some joy when that happens just because I don't know. You don't expect it out of the nerd. Yeah. Although it does fulfill another Trelawney prediction. It does. So it does. I, yeah, it, you can look it up. Um, there's plenty of speaking of nerds, a whole bunch of them have so gone through the, uh, have gone through like all of her predictions and pointed out ones that she got right throughout the series that, seemed so ridiculous at the time that she said them or just sounded like more of her spouting off random nonsense. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, like we said, if she didn't do so much of that, they might actually hit home. Um, Prof McGee, also not a fan. Uh, she, nope. She's also not a fan of not getting applause for her cat transfer. Yeah. Tra- Speaking of teachers being flashy at the beginning of a lesson, <laughs> I'm sorry, McGonagall, uh, you're trying to get applause calm down yeah yeah i don't um i don't get that i get i get the show of it in the context of the class because she's teaching transfiguration and i believe this is supposed to be when she's like kicking off turning animals into things right and so Mm -hmm. she's gonna 
you know, show the ultimate animal uh, transfigurate. Like, I get that, but the, the whole, like, not that, that I need it, but that's the only time I've not gotten whatever, a, an ovation. Oh, she wants she it. Says. She wants yeah, all she of the does. applause. She wants it. She does. She She's just not going to. Was that the worst accent, too, by the way? Like, that seemed really bad coming out. Not not the worst. It seemed not the worst. real bad. I think, though, here's a question that I have about McGonagall. Is she, like Hermione, just flat-out anti-divination? 100%. Or is she anti-Trelawney predicting the death of a student every year? These well, are children. Both. She's definitely <laughs> both. Um, <laughs> definitely both. Uh, but I, I think you hit it on the head. I think she's very much like Hermione in if it's not a tangible form of magic, she discredits it. Yeah, I I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I also think it makes her Hermione's hero just yeah. in the flesh. Uh, I also had this this idea um, as I was going through this chapter, and I'm going to share it with you and just see if you think this is the stupidest thing that you've ever heard. Um, but it depends on, I guess, where you land on Cursed Child, um, whether that is a hot steaming pile of garbage or you think it's absolutely canon. Um that might inform how you react to this, but here's here's a spinoff show that I feel like we need in an alternate universe. Our trio, as adults, all Hogwarts professors. Harry's teaching defense against the dark arts. Hermione's teaching transfiguration, and Ron is teaching. I I wizard's chess. Um, Quidditch. Can can he be Hooch? Do, do they have a phys ed? It could teacher? be Hooch. Yeah, like he can be Hooch. I think he could be Hooch. Yeah. yeah. And we shoot the show as a workplace sitcom. Are Neville, you, you can have Neville yeah. as Herbology, and then you got like four of them. Right. That would right. Be great. I, and I'm sure that Neville would bring a lot of laughter to this show because you know, while he made like the ultimate glow up as kids probably said 10 years ago and don't yep. say anymore um but you know he still probably as clumsy as all shit even as an adult like there are some things you just don't grow out of no matter how many abs you have so the the idea that they could he could just kind of like come fumbling in with some you know potted plants and shit and just into a random scene and ron's rolling his eyes and he's like okay ron go clean up the quidditch pitch or whatever you know what do you teach again uh, it, i don't know i just think it'd be fun even though i don't think he'd ever do it draco is potions master just to have the whole dichotomy oh, of dear character god. <laughs> dear god dear god you get the idea you get the sense though of all the of all the shit that I give Draco, because I do, and I'm not going to go too far into this, but I think the reason that I can't stand Draco's character so much is because I actually think that he was underserved as a character in the writing, because I think the thing that the fandom that tends to support him, one, I think there's a giant, uh, faction of them who just love tom felton i think that's a thing for sure 
I also think that this fandom has an uncanny ability to essentially headcanon these characters in ways that take them beyond what was actually written on the page. And so they're able to give Draco so much more depth than what he was actually given on the page and actually give him a like quote unquote redemption arc in their own heads that mm-hmm. didn't actually happen in the books. Like he was very, very underserved. Like I said, in my opinion, I think Snape is the same way. I think both of those characters could have been, could have been utilized in uh, like in different ways and made them way more compelling as characters in my opinion and i think that's why i get so frustrated with it because i'm like but in the world like yes you can you can contextualize a lot of stuff in your head about them and try to like give them that but the author didn't (laughs) no for sure i think and and like i was saying at the beginning of this uh i try to break away from the gryffindor harry potter point of view and right. try to take other points of views but yes you're right that's not on the page in the words that's yeah. me mm-hmm. extrapolating out uh you know different perspectives and histories and backgrounds and thoughts and feelings that i don't know that the character actually had because it's not there yeah exactly and it's but i the that tangent aside what i was where i was going was to to support your thought of him being a potions master we do at least on the page get the get a glimpse of the idea of he might actually be good at potions potentially he does at least make it into newt level classes um i think we are i think we perceive that there's likely a combination of some sort of talent there and also favoritism by snape so it's hard to tell how much of it is really in like rooted in him and we don't really see how he does with slughorn as a professor because this is when like we don't actually spend that much time with draco in the classroom and how he's doing the only time we get with draco is hey draco's a death eater now and nobody believes harry uh and draco's got other shit on his mind (laughs) uh but you do you at least see him get that far so perhaps he has it in him to become potions you know teacher and bring this whole sitcom to life maybe 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 that's giving draco too much credit i gotta give him some because at some point in this chapter and it's not gonna take very long he's getting none um apparently ron though at this point still has this like lingering worry about the grim and he's really worried when harry lets him know that he has actually seen a big black dog like you said um it's real that's a real thing it's just not the sign of his death at least not yet i mean we're all just inching slowly closer to death every day that we breathe which is an awful way to live and think about life so i try not to but technically harry is gonna die that's gonna harry tempts death like every year at this school so i yeah. mean it's it's not really a far off prediction yeah and and i just brought this up uh what was it i think it was in uh, i because I took a break from the chapter by chapter stuff, I just posted a like one through five of Prisoner of Azkaban catching up to this point. And uh, in that, I may or may not have mentioned that 
it's been okay for Harry to face some semblance of the most evil serial killer uh, in this magical world the past couple of years. But by God, if he wants to go down the street and get some sweets, he better have that permission sips line by Vernon Dursley. But alas, here we are. Um, we got the big black dog, serious Easter eggs. We're just going to beat you over the head with that one as many times as we possibly can before we actually show that serious is a big black dog. Um, but that's not the only Easter egg that's planted here. Hermione storms off saying how great arithmancy was, and Ron's like, she hasn't had that class yet. Hmm, something suspicious is happening here. Sorry, I I kind of can't with this whole time turner thing. I'm I'm having I'm trying. I'm trying to keep it keep this thing on the rails. It's it's not going well though with with it in my brain. I just it's, it's, it's early a, to bring the time travel thing into a storyline. Usually if you're watching a TV show or something, it's like mm -hmm. later seasons. Like this is like a book fair. 6 or book 7 thing, not necessarily a book 3 thing, but Yeah, and I think to your point that's why they were all destroyed because they just it opens up so many issues for things to come in the series where it's like well you could have just done a why couldn't you just use a time turner because plot and be, we had to write a book that's why that's why we didn't use a time turner for all the things <laughs> I think clearly Voldemort makes a massive mistake by trying to get into the prophecy door when he should have just been trying to get into the time turner door and steal all of them. Like, right. Who needs horcruxes when you can just literally always go back? I wonder if it works on death. Huh. I don't know. Anyway, some, some nerd wrote that fan fiction too. We can find it at some point. Um, all right. It's time for the fireworks. Let's get to this. Hagrid's first uh, care of magical creatures class as a professor, which, all right, I thought we were going to get to the fireworks, but I got to ask you before we do that, Hagrid as a professor. It's not great. It's not great. And uh, speaking of professors starting a lesson with a showy lesson, <laughs> I mean, Trelawney's predicting deaths. McGonagall's transforming herself into an animagus. You got Hagrid pulling out hippogriffs for third years. I can go on for future professors and their showy lessons to begin. We get one in the next chapter. But, um, yeah, it's Lupin. Uh, that's Lupin with Boggers. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, having children face their darkest fears in a classroom with other children whatever that could have gone terribly wrong but anyway you're um, not wrong i and i hadn't i hadn't th thought of that as much of the showy first class thing until you just said it um i thought of that as more like opportunistic teaching he's like oh shit we've got a boggart all right we weren't gonna talk about these till later but like we have one let's use it um but no you're right it's a it's a very showy first day Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that lesson could have gone terribly, terribly wrong. I love Lupin, but that could have gone bad. Anyway. It could have. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of questionable teaching decisions happening here, school-wide. But uh Hagrid seems to make a lot of them. And he, I he knows his profession. 
he's another one where I think like if he just sticks to what he knows and doesn't try to impress people, he could be really good. Well, I think that's I think that's where I think that's where Haggard breaks as a professor, not because he's trying to quote like to me, I don't think it's because he's trying to impress people. I think it's because what he knows are the creatures and he finds them fascinating and he wants to share what he thinks is fascinating with the students. That's his, I think that is his motivation and his MO. But here's the problem. The dude was expelled from school when he was like 13 years old. He's not qualified to be a teacher. He doesn't have the education enough himself and the training enough himself of how to actually properly teach children in order to just be thrust like thrust into that position he's he's set up to fail because he wasn't ever given a chance in the first place himself he's got the knowledge of the creatures to do a really good job of bringing that like bringing those creatures to life quote unquote i guess That's a bad way of saying it but he has no idea how to construct a curriculum or handle a classroom or really even communicate in a in like a, a proper way as professor to student. Like there's so many things he just doesn't know. And you know nobody taught him before he got started. He's just thrown in there to wing it. Dumbledore runs a very interesting school. And <laughs> he he doesn't really like He's the most hands-off principal of all time, where he's just like, yeah, whatever, do whatever you want. It's loosely based on whatever we need to get done. Yeah. Uh, And it causes some problems. Well, you know, his main priority is killing Voldemort. So running Hogwarts is kind of just like the thing he does on the side. It's like, ah, they'll be be fine. Just somebody tell them not to point the sticks at each other and make them go bang and everything's gonna be okay what i gotta deal with this whole serial killer who's invincible thing let let Mm -hmm. me focus on that alas the many complexities of albus dumbledore that's why he's my favorite character to talk about in the series anyways fireworks so many side tangents um first like haggard's shocked that nobody can figure out how to open their books just stroke it duh obviously yeah i think haggard i get he thinks the book is funny Mm -hmm. and to him it's it's hilarious but can't you just get a regular book again like also who wrote this fucking book anyway like yeah yeah but i think i think this is so funny because we didn't plan this right and I'm sure I'll bring this up at the moment that it happens, but we have a parallel in the two conversations that you and I are going to have today. Okay. With this book and something that happens in the chapter we plan to discuss on your podcast. Okay. And I'll bring it up again then. But I just, I, the luck could not have, you know, we are Trelawneying it, I guess is what I'm saying. And Malfoy doesn't have to be a dick about it, but like he's also, correct in his like obviously stroke it why didn't i think of that like duh 
he doesn't have to be a dick about it, but he's also right. This was stupid. I mean, Malfoy, especially in Hagrid's class, um, yeah, he's he's definitely a dick, but he does bring up some valid points <laughs> from time to time. And it's like, actually, that was kind of fair. I, you know, I'm not going to lie. Kind of fair. That that one was that one was fair yeah that's the only one i'm giving him in this chapter that's in this the chapter only one yes. i'm giving him that's fair yeah because oh. the rest eh, eh. nope no that's on you bud that's on yep. you everything that happens after this is on you yeah yep uh so we get introduced to hippogriffs as you mentioned uh buckbeak is the first one thanks to harry reluctantly and kind of unknowingly volunteering to go for a, a bareback ride on a flying bird horse. Uh, he's like, yeah, I'll come pet the big winged creature. But he didn't sign up for flying. Just didn't. No, nope, Hagrid's like, ah, you could do it. Here you go. Yeah, it's like taking a city kid to a rodeo and saying like, oh, nobody's been able to break that stallion over there. Ah, just hop on. Let's see what happens. All of this reverence that Hagrid like builds for the hippogriff, like you need to bow, you need to maintain eye contact, you need to do this, you need to, and then he just slaps the thing on the end. Yeah. I'm like, just, yep, just throw the guy, just, yeah, don't make it mad. It will kill you, but let's just throw you on its back and here you go. It, yeah. yeah, it's not, not great. Not a great plan. Not a great plan. Again, too showy. Show them the hippogriffs. Don't actually have them interact with it and have a student flying on one well and there's like no prep because hagrid literally says right before this oh don't pull out any of his feathers he won't like that what else where, do you grab where do you hold i i like i likened it to like a roller coaster but you know when the restraint is not like all the way down or a little too loose and you're like is this supposed to be like this like can we can we make sure this is good first like <laughs> Am I going to die? Does this thing go upside down? Uh, yeah. So many terrifying. things could go wrong. So many mm -hmm. things. So many things. Uh, Draco, though, hates Harry being the center of attention and decides to ignore all of Hagrid's instructions. And what does he do? Insults Buckbeak and gets a couple of claws for his efforts. Ironically, this is the second time in Draco's life that he got punished for his behavior ever, I think. Yeah, it just took a hippogriff to do it, not a teacher. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, exactly. It like this is this is cause and effect, child. When you don't pay attention, and I say, don't insult the beast, and then you insult the beast, and it, that's why I said don't do that. But that's also why you can't have this be your lesson plan, <laughs> because these are kids. They're not gonna listen. They're going to not listen, and they're gonna be shits because they're thirteen. I don't know what it is about Slytherins in this series, but the lack of respect towards creatures is prominent. And it comes back and bites them like every time. Like Draco here, Umbridge with the centaurs. I mean, it's like never ending. Well, I don't know if you've heard this, but Slytherin is the evil house. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. We, we need them to be evil. And nobody, nobody likes somebody that kicks a puppy. And this is the magical version of Slytherin House kicking puppies. I get 
as you said earlier, JK has uh, some issues with filling out backgrounds and the the world as a whole. There's got to be one good Slytherin, right? Gotta I mean, be. there's by gotta just be. sheer odds. So mm-hmm. There's got to be one good person in that house somewhere. Yeah. And it's just we don't ever get them at all. No, no, because what we get is stand-ins for them and people will always use Snape as they're like, this is a good Slytherin. And it's like, well, no, he was a shitty person. Yeah. He ended up being on the correct side of this particular war, but like he wasn't a good person. He bullied children f- for, as a professor constantly. Like that's not a good person. Or Slughorn. Slughorn, yeah, Slughorn is the, the good one. Slytherin. And it's like, yeah, he's also kind of a sleazebag who tries to use relationships with children to his own gain and nurture them as children to be his like trophies. I mean, yep. that's 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 kind of sleazy and gross. Like there, we what we needed was just a a a person, a normal human being dressed in green who wasn't racist and wasn't metaphorically kicking puppies and wasn't bullying children and wasn't collecting children. We just need, but maybe that's why we know the names of like seven total. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause we only see the evil ones because that's the part that we have to hate, I guess. I I always joke because we get, sometimes we get time jumps from chapter to chapter where it's like, mm-hmm. and three months have passed and now we're here at Christmas time or whatever. And I'm like, Guys, this was Mandy Brocklehurst's moment. That was her moment to do something in the series. <laughs> and we just skipped over it. And we don't know. You know, she could have done great in charms and we just have no idea. So, no clue. Nope. No that was her clue. Moment. Yep. Yep. And and honestly, if if there were good Slytherins, we wouldn't know because Harry's pretty oblivious to pretty much everything that happens around him at almost all times, unless it's very, very pertinent to the plot that he'd be attentive. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or, again, something that'll happen in your chapter. Some very meaningless stuff he totally picks up on, and it's like what what you you didn't catch anything important, but you got that anyway. Um, I we can't break down the fourth wall too much here. Uh, the the level of acting though that Draco is going through to try to just show how much. Oh, how much pain he's in and how much of a drama queen he is about this whole thing, though, is what really sets it off for me. It's the dying. It's the dying bit because yeah. if it's you're just focused me. on, like, it's a gash in his arm. Like, I get it. The hippogriff can do damage. Yeah. Focus on, like, wow, that really hurts. I'm like, my arm is killing me. The dying is where he's like, come on, man. Okay, yeah. calm down. We'll get you fixed up. Yeah, and it's not going to stop. It's going to be like chapters and chapters from now. He's going to still be, oh, my arm, my arm. I, I almost lost an arm. And it, I just, I kind of can't. And it's, it's Harry like brings he, up a good point. He had all of the bones removed from his arm and he had to regrow those. And those exactly. came back very quickly, all things considered. So, yeah, this is, this is a quick, it, she probably didn't even have to use magic. She probably had a potion that she just wiped on there and it probably. was all healed. And it's, I think the way that you described it at the beginning when I told you to rate his bullying skills, um, which is still a silly way to start a chapter discussion, is it's very juvenile. It's beneath 
his like age and level of maturity to react in this way. Do you think other students, like other Slytherins in that, I get Pansy, who again is brought to the forefront here. Why? I'm not really sure other than to be like just sympathetic towards Draco, but. Well, and he needs a girl. He needs a girl. Crab and Goyle have got to be like, really? Like, I think that's why they don't talk. They're just talking to each other on the side, like over there being like, come on, man. <laughs> I don't even think they use, they just, it's eye contact. That's all it is. They just look at each other and they just, <sighs> but our dads know each other and it's been like this since we were three. Yeah. They, they have to be annoyed by it. They have to be like, come on, man. Well, of course that's why they're the muscle, not him. Right. They're right. the tough ones, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's supposed to be the brains. We'll leave that one for now. Uh, but it, eventually it does happen, right? Yeah. The way, way down the line um, it, during Crab's demise, it that chapter, like, they're they're done with him. They're yeah. like, you don't hold, you, clearly we were all, we weren't friends. We were doing this because of who you, like, your name and your dad and all of that Status. stuff. Status, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that's another thing that I would love to just see in Slytherin house friends does anyone in that house have just just friends just a friendship or is it literally all status and gain because of that whole cunning thing that they're supposed to have it's a weird house when you really look at it because it's Mm -hmm. it's gives you the impression that it's so cutthroat and so competitive and and maybe it is like that again we don't really see the Slytherin house all that much except through Harry's eyes so Mm -hmm. maybe it is like that but from Harry's eyes, Slytherin seems to be a relatively surprisingly united front against every other house. Yeah. Yeah, it's like so, an us against the world mentality. Kinda, yeah. Yeah. And the rest of that world just happens to, you know, not be racist. Anyway. Uh, okay. The chapter ends with the trio taking a trip down to Hagrid's to have a support group while Hagrid is just just shit face drunk which is how he's dealing with the Malfoy incident. But <laughs> I mean, for one, this is, this is problematic. Sure. I I know there have been people who have brought up Hagrid's drinking um, as a, as quite the character flaw um, as well as Trelawney's drinking as quite the character flaw. But I mean, in their defense, the school day's over and this is where they live. So if they want to get tanked in their own house. And they live adults. very remotely, all things considered. Like yeah. one's up in the North Tower, the other one's off, you know, the actual castle. So yeah. I mean he didn't invite children. He was getting drunk in his own house by himself. And it happens to take a lot to do that because he's eight feet tall and is a professional drinker. But the part that I like the most is not the mini AA meeting that's happening it's the fact that all it takes for him to completely sober up is for him to just go outside and shove his face in a like vat of water and it's just like effects are gone that that's what it is wouldn't that be great if that was how the real world worked you know it would I think it would save a lot of people a lot of headaches and the other things that can come from DUIs a lot of DUIs (laughs) That's that's a fair point. I will give Hagrid this. 
as far as we know, he just gets drunk in his hut. He's not getting drunk and flying buckbeak around the grounds. Right. He gets as drunk. far as we're aware. <laughs> right. He drinks in his hut and he drinks at like the leaky cauldron or at like the hogshead uh, or something hogshead. like that. Yeah. He he goes to the places that you're supposed to drink. He doesn't he's not then, drinking in the herbology classroom, you know? Yeah. And he's not inviting the children. He's not saying, "Hey kids, come get hammered." Although Half-Blood Prince um is is a thing that happens, but That is an exception. Yeah. Yeah, but at that point Harry's like 16, which in these books basically means he's he's almost an adult. Yeah, and Dringy's treated a little bit different um I think over their period. Uh but then uh, of course we got to end the chapter Hagrid is sober now magically it's almost like this is a magic book um and he remembers that like Sirius Black is trying to kill you Harry why are you here and he starts freaking out and he sends him back to the castle and that's pretty much the end of the chapter that's very abruptly it is it is a very abrupt ending it, that wasn't just me being a little unorganized as a podcast host this chapter literally just ends abruptly with Hagrid freaking out and sending them away yep flat cut off that's fine. <laughs> Did did I do we miss anything? Do you want to go back and hit anything? Like, did you think of the perfect response to something five minutes after it was too late to use it? Like anything? Nope. I think I got all my Trelawney stuff out, so I think I'm good. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Let's do some house points before we go. Uh, in true Hogwarts fashion, these points are completely subjective with zero oversight whatsoever and fully at my discretion. Uh, in and yours, uh, this week, I, I'm giving. 15 to Harry for having Hagrid's back and successfully riding Buckbeak without dying. And I'm giving five for Hermione playing mom and dumping out Hagrid's booze. And that's, ah, that's all fair. I could really think of for the entire chapter. Uh, so I was the mean teacher. So okay. I took more points than I gave. I already talked about Sir Cadigan and his minus uh, 10 portrait I did points. too. <laughs> I took more. Who did you take from? Uh, I took just 20 uh from Hermione. I took 20. Oh. Uh your your point about her being the mom though is accurate. I should give her some for that. But Well, I gave her 5. So she averages out to 15. Yeah. Uh, I took 10 for just being rude uh in Trelawney's class and 10 for being closed-minded when Ron is trying to actually be genuinely like sharing his fear and the wizarding world's fear on the Grim and she's just being completely disrespectful about it. And then 10 uh, for minus 10 for Draco for being disrespectful for hippogriffs. And then plus 10 for Harry for going first. So I'm agreeing with you on there. Nice. So Harry comes out the best in this chapter for me, which is not a common thing. So good for Harry. That's that's fair. Um, I also took points from Draco. I took 30 um, because Ooh. he sucks from beginning to end in, in this whole chapter. Um, and uh, nope. Nope, 30 is not enough. Let's go 35. I'm adding five <laughs> bonus for being a pansy ass about the whole Buckbeak thing. Um, speaking of pansy, give me 10 from uh -huh. Parkinson, too. Um, she's just the worst every time she shows up on the page, and I kind of hate her a lot. So I'm just, I'm going to be Snape. I'm just going to take points for a child that I hate. That's what I'm going to do right now. There's a strong case to be made that pansy's the actual worst Slytherin student. 
Like, there's a real argument for that. And the small snippets that we get, she is awful. Draco gets more page. Yeah. And Crab and Goyle get more page. But for the little bits that we get a pansy, she is she's not great. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Here's the here's the line of demarcation. I don't even know if I'm using that correctly. What we see out of the others evolves into literal like attempted murder right and so they get to a point where they escalate into the literal like worst you can possibly be throwing around unforgivables trying to torture people and we don't follow also, pansy during the battle of hogwarts well that's the, that's <laughs> the thing what we get from her is just normal like teenage girl the worst yeah, that's true. She never has the opportunity to evolve or escalate into like a mini Bellatrix or something for us to right. really just like viscerally hate. What we see from her at the Battle of Hogwarts is being like the first to want to get Harry or whatever. And mm -hmm. I know I, I'm a little bit blurry as to how much of my memory is movie and book on that particular, like her exact interaction sure. in that moment. I'm, we got a ways before I reread that part, but what we do, but she's prominent in that, but she's never like, we never see her actually casting spell. I don't think we see her cast a single spell ever in these books. I think that's true, actually. Yeah. All we see is her be very snide, very um, shitty particularly to people like Hermione, and we see her fawning over Draco, and that's it. We also don't get any in inclination that she's connected at all to the Death Eater Circle, like, through yeah. her relationships. Because, like, she's... I'm thinking back to Half-Blood Prince where she's, like, petting Draco. Because, um, again, he has to have a girl. Every everybody has to have... Every, every male character in these books has to have a girl. Uh, and she's his... But she, like, where he's talking about, like, I've got bigger and better things to do than Hogwarts this year. And she's like, oh, do you mean him? Almost like she's, like, outside of that She's a group yeah. She's a groupie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyways, that's enough about that pug. Um, also, not cast very well. Uh, I think that the girl that they got to play her in the movies did a really, really good job. And she does that, like, mean girl really well. But she was mm -hmm. not nearly ugly enough <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, i'm taking five points from haggard too for letting his confidence get shook uh when the kids just couldn't open the book and then it was just like spiraling down from there uh i think that's i think that's what i got uh so all that leads is our expecto plot change -o question which i will post on social at belated binge across all the things you know the drill by now what happens to our story if we make one small change in the chapter we just read for this one my question is what if harry didn't volunteer to jump in the ring with buckbeak Oof. any thoughts from you um Hagrid's in trouble I, I I think Hermione probably would uh just and then she would immediately regret it she would immediately regret it because I don't think she is um uh, as adept at 
that kind of challenge as Harry. Mm. Like Harry, Harry could be like, how am I going to do? Okay, whatever. I'll figure it out now. <laughs> like this exact moment, I'm going to figure it out. And mm -hmm. Hermione needs to plan a little bit better, uh, but she would feel bad for Hagrid. So I think she might, or she'll just push Harry forward. Like the whole, like in the movie where they all like take a step back mm -hmm. and then Harry's the one mm -hmm. that him being oblivious to everybody else again not noticing his surroundings right. at all that <laughs> yeah. he's just the lone one standing there i like that yeah. idea though that that hermione would like step up for hagrid and i think that it i think that actually evolves into a completely different way for the chapter to go and actually a completely different way for the whole book to go the do way that hagrid you... do you think hagrid makes her ride the hippogriff that's exactly what i don't think he does yeah. I think he puts Harry on it because it's Harry and Harry. he's confident yeah. that Harry can handle this, but I don't think he would do that to Hermione. I agree. I think, I think he would just have her because I don't think that he intends for all the students to like all the students to ride the hippogriffs. I think he's just getting them to interact with. And, and then Harry doesn't become center of attention. Draco doesn't have a reason to get all jealous and puff his chest out and go out of his way to insult the hippogriff. And so maybe Draco doesn't get his ass clawed and maybe Buckbeak doesn't later get sentenced to death and maybe we don't have to have that like whole breakout thing and we have a whole entirely different book. And if Hermione just didn't take frickin' divination, we also wouldn't need the time turner. We just have a completely different book on our hands. Look at that, full circle. Uh, okay, <laughs> before we uh, end this, plug anything and everything. Yeah, so uh, you could find... Hogwarts, a podcast on Instagram and Twitter or X or whatever it's being called now, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Uh -huh. uh, it's at Hogwarts, a pod. Um, and, you know, we're posting a bunch on there. So we post polls. Uh, check us out on Spotify where you're, or anywhere you listen to podcasts and you can find us. We post polls every episode on Spotify. So feel free to comment and participate in those. Nice. I also love the handle, by the way. Just Hogwarts a pod just rolls off the tongue. So easy. I was I, so happy when it worked. <laughs> I just, I, I love it so much. It And it also feels more creative I, for whatever reason. It's just, I, I don't know. It's fun for me. And I'm not just kissing your ass because you're uh, on this podcast. I, the I'll first time, anyway. I, the first time I read it, I was just like, that's a great fucking handle. Anyways, um, seriously, thank you for, for coming on and doing this. Um, and thank you to the tens of people listening. Uh, please take a minute or less to open up Apple Podcasts. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's probably going to take you a full minute now because of the glitch that's happening. I still can't get anywhere with support. I'm sorry. But please, for the love of all things, if Apple Podcasts is the thing that you listen on, please have the patience to sit and wait the 20 seconds for the glitch to stop and you can actually listen to my podcast. I, I don't know what else to say. Um, and please wait that 20 seconds so you can scroll all the way down to leave a review because that's a really helpful way to get this podcast introduced to new people. And I'll give you a shout out on the podcast, like Cody, who left a five-star review recently and said that he's been a Potterhead for years, but also didn't read the books until he was, say it with me, kids, a grown-ass man. We're out here. Belated bingers unite. Uh, he said he loves diving in and theorizing on Dumbledore's influence. A must-listen podcast. Thank you, Cody. And thank you in advance for telling all your Potterhead friends how cool they would be if they joined our belated binge of Harry Potter. <laughs>